This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's Tuesday, February the 28th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, there is a new study on the mental health benefits for athletes participating in the Special Olympics. Lead a major environmental forum that took place in Vancouver called Impact 5. Lawrence Gunther was there. He'll offer up a recap. Next couple of hours, but the show begins with the top story of the day. And once again, it is the economy. Stats Canada has released December and fourth quarter gross domestic product data. Economic activity shrank in December by 0.1%. And overall, the fourth quarter showed neither an increase or a decrease in GDP. The previous five quarters all showed economic growth. Those numbers just came out a few minutes ago. There will be some analysis to share with you tomorrow. And a reminder that it is Provincial Budget Day in British Columbia and Alberta. BC Finance Minister Katrine Conroy gave a sneak peek of her priorities last night. Tomorrow I'll talk about how we're strengthening public health care throughout the province. How we're moving forward on a plan to continue delivering the housing that people need. How we'll keep people safe and healthy in their communities. And how our government will continue to help people with the costs they face every day. Alberta Health Minister Jason Copping also laid out some of their priorities. Budget 2023, if passed, would show a number of funding increase to further support the health care action plan. We are also starting to turn the corner, particularly after a tough winter that has challenged our health care system. But we know we are just starting down the path to making meaningful long-term change. Both provincial governments are expected to post significant surpluses. And here's a story from the world of technology and government that is playing out on both sides of the Canada-U.S. border. Mobile devices issued by the federal government will no longer be allowed to access TikTok. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau laid out the rationale. We're making the decision that uh, for government employees, for government equipment, it is better uh, to not have them access TikTok uh, because of the concerns uh, that people have in terms of safety. Uh, This may be a first step, it may be the only step we need to take, but every step of the way we're going to be making sure uh, we're keeping Canadians safe. Trudeau was asked whether the ban might extend to private citizens. Here's what he said. We take very seriously the freedom of expression, the freedom of Canadians to engage how they want online, but we also have very important principles around protection of data, protection of Canadian safety and security that we will always step up for. As mentioned, this is a story playing out on both sides of the border. The Biden administration is widening the TikTok ban on government devices in the U.S. Norman Hall has that side of the story. The White House is giving all federal agencies 30 days to wipe TikTok off all government devices. The Chinese-owned social media app is coming under increasing scrutiny in Washington over security concerns. Some agencies, including the Pentagon, Homeland Security, and State, already have restrictions in place. The White House already does not allow TikTok on its devices. Canada imposed a similar ban on Monday. A TikTok spokesperson calls the bans little more than political theater. Norman Hall, Washington. And that is going to relate to the daily polls, which you can find at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Before you get today's question, though, let's recap yesterday's question when you were asked. Several provinces are showing significant budget surpluses. Where should those surpluses go? 4% of you said tax cuts. 13% of you are very wise and said pay off debt. 74% of you unsurprisingly said social programs. And 9% of you said, give me my money back. Payments to residents. A lot of responses here on social media. A lot of them landing in similar places. Popcorn Scratchpad tweets in at Accessible Media. Raise the hashtag ODSP rates. Of course, that's the Ontario Disability Support Program. Terry tweets in at Accessible Media. 
Transportation, something that we talk about on this show a whole bunch. Certainly investments in transportation would go a long way. And then Mary tweets in at Accessible Media, this one being directed right at the Premier of Alberta, tagging Alberta Premier Danielle Smith. Please raise the hashtag AISH hashtag income support and other disability income assistance to the actual cost of living in Alberta and index it annually and also change the payments back to where they used to be. So just in case you're curious, just like I defined ODSP for you, the AISH is reference to the Assured Income Security for the Severely Handicapped, a provincial program in Alberta that... Uh, remains unfortunately named. Today's Daily Poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Mobile devices issued by the federal government can no longer access TikTok. Does that kind of ban influence what you might do on your own device? Yes or no? I uh, do like the response that the TikTok spokesperson gave to the Associated Press for that story in regards to the U.S. ban, calling it political theater, because there is something to this that does feel a bit political theatrical, to sort of prop up these boogeymen. And there's something that uh, leaders in Canada and the U.S. and Europe like to do, especially when it comes to China's influences, make them a boogeyman. Oh no, it's the Chinese social media site. That's no good. You can't have that. I hope you can hear the sarcasm that is running deeply inside my voice. Because if I'm not mistaken, just a mere seven years ago, Facebook had a tremendous influence on the American election. And Facebook continues to be a significant issues for democracies all across the world as people subvert democratic practices on social media. And in that case, oh, well, you know, it's a private corporation. They can do as they please. But oh, no, no, if it's a Chinese company, well, then we have problems. Listen, I'm not meaning to underplay whatever kind of diplomacy issues and spy issues are existing between Canada, the US, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, China, and the rest of the world right now. I don't mean to be so flippant or so misguided, but simply to say, like, here's the one that we're going to ban, and we're going to let the other ones run amok and destroy democracy seems so disingenuous to me. And it's one of these things that I'm always telling you to keep your third eye open. Keep your critical thinking cap on when you get to these kinds of stories. You should do whatever the heck you want to do with your device. That's your choice. I personally don't have TikTok on my phone. I get everything I need through uh, YouTube shorts or Facebook reels. It's all the same stuff. All these things get uploaded across multiple platforms. Everybody has their own. I, I, I know what I want to do with my data, but you can do with, with your data as you please. So in this case, this kind of ban does not influence what I might do with my own device, but I wanted to put that long preamble down there just to have you contemplate and think about the way in which these stories are told to you. Bring in Alex Smythe on this one. Alex, when you think about a ban on federal government devices, both in Canada and the US on TikTok, does that influence what you might do with your own private phone? Well, no, because I never downloaded TikTok to begin with. Because oh, okay, okay, was, I'll, uh, that, yeah. uh, so I'm going to stop. I'm going to cut you off right away, Alex. Okay. Like, like you okay. can you can focus on TikTok if you want to, but I mean, sure. in any case, any kind of government ban on a social media app would that influence what well, you're going to do with your private device? So typically, not because if it's already getting to the point where the government is coming out and banned it, I probably have already stopped using it or I don't have it on my phone in the first place. Like I, what I was going to say with TikTok, when it was first emerging, there were concerns. People were kind of raising the alarms that, okay, there are strong ties to the Chinese government here. Be very careful with what you are doing and, and how you are using this app and what are you giving it permission to do. It was the same thing. There was a I think it was like five or six years ago, there was that big trend of the um, this app that like would aid you. So people were uploading the photos of themselves and they were uh, getting, a, oh, this is what I look like when I'm 70 or 80. Yeah, and then we found out, oh, well, there's actually quite some strong ties to Russian government and Russian organizations, which, you know, you, you have to be careful about. And who are you giving access to your images to? And what are they doing with that information? You don't fully know. So I always avoided those types of of trends and I, I found TikTok was kind of just the latest form of that where this was another app that you know seemed to have ties with governments. I understand what you're saying, Dave, in terms of well Facebook and Twitter have both shown that they have influence in one way, shape or form 
elections in the past few cycles. I, I think where it differentiates a bit is, well, these companies have shown that there are ties to direct uh, governments in other countries. And so instead of being a private business to being one that's tied to governments, that's where that differentiating happens. I agree. I, I think in terms of uh, with with Canada's response, the U.S. response, this is all posturing. This is all showing a this is a, a small step we can do to kind of take a stance against China and, and their growing influence and their their view of potentially assisting in the war in Ukraine with on the Russian side. So this is all posturing in a geopolitical uh, spectator uh, kind of uh, environment or realm that we're dealing with. And it just seems that TikTok is the easy um, solution that you can just ban it. There's no real consequences because it's still under the the guise of being a a company and not the Chinese government directly. Yeah, it's uh, it, it it like I said, it, it, it's a bit of a boogeyman. But I get I get where you're coming from too, Alex. You know what I would say though? Any federally issued mobile device shouldn't be allowed to have social media on it. Period. Right? You shouldn't have Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of these things because frankly, if these are work devices, they should be used only for work. Absolutely, I, and that's how I treat my my work uh, devices as well. My work devices and my private devices are separated. You know, I, I don't really cross over. I'm not on Facebook, Twitter, or any of these other social media sites on my work devices and, and pretty much vice versa. I'll, I'll have my work email come through my, my uh, private device, but I try not to uh, cross over with any work property yeah. that it's it's getting any of my personal uh, stuff that's outside of the realm of my job description. Yeah, we, we do have one production group on Facebook that I will occasionally log into my uh, work laptop to get into because it has some stories that we that we sort of scrape the internet for uh, looking for disability related stories. But yeah, similar deal. I, I, I'm, I'm very leery of putting these things together, but even more so if they really are concerned about data sucks or data drains, then they should not be allowing any of these companies that have these terms of services that do these data sucks and data drains and do this scraping on their phones like 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 I understand the cognizance here I do understand an overall underlying philosophy here but I think when you start singling out and creating boogeyman you're not actually you're not actually engaging in the conversation as it should be because there's another social media side to the conversation that I'm willing to have here and that's addiction Right there's been a lot of studies done both by the uh, by by media institutions like the Washington Post, the New York Times, as well as the Center for Disease Control in America, looking at depression related to social media addiction and phone addiction. Like these are all important broad conversations that I'm willing to have, but I just believe that that, that I'm almost willing to side with the TikTok spokesperson saying, yeah, this is this is just theatrics, right? If we really want to grapple with the place that social media and mobile devices have in our lives, then we need to do it in good faith and can't just do a bunch of finger pointing. We need to actually be considering and thinking about the way in which these apps and these devices are are so prominent in our lives. Yeah, and and if it comes back down to the security aspect of protection, well, then there needs to be these broader overall conversations that we are are having as a result and ensuring that okay, well, it's just fair and balanced throughout that you're you're taking these precautions on all fronts and not just one that you know uh, benefits the uh, geopolitics uh, uh, geopolitics that we are currently engaged. Yeah, and there's been some speculation here too that this is almost a ploy or an attempt to force TikTok to sell an American division to another tech giant, whether that be Microsoft, Google, you take your pick, right? Whichever one may want to pony up the dough for it. So there is that element as well. If there is even the possibility there's some political interference here, saying, oh, we know people love TikTok and they like TikTok. And we're just hoping we can sell this to Microsoft or sell this to somebody else. So, so keep your third eye open for that one as well. Those are Alex's thoughts and those are my thoughts. But you should share your thoughts at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You can also just tag us on TikTok at Accessible Media or find us on Instagram at Accessible Media Inc. You can also send emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca or give a phone call, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Let me give you those social media points of contact one more time because it can get a little bit confusing because there's two different handles. So on TikTok and Twitter, it's at Accessible Media 
On Facebook and Instagram, it's at Accessible Media Inc. Let's go back to Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather updates. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting off in St. John's, Newfoundland, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow today. The high is minus 10, but with that wind chill, it feels closer to minus 25. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly sunny today with clouds rolling in in the afternoon. The high is minus 5, feeling like minus 19 with that wind chill. In Montreal, Quebec, they are dealing with the heavy snow falling that we were experiencing in the GTA last night. So there's going to be up to 15 centimeters of snow expected today. The high is one degree, but with that wind chill, it makes it feel like minus 12. And obviously there is a snowfall warning in effect for the area. In Ottawa, Ontario, very similar conditions. It's heavy snow with up to 15 centimeters expected today but there's also possible freezing rain in the afternoon. So it's going to be a very ugly out once you get into the afternoon in Ottawa. The high is minus one, feeling like minus 14. In Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with rain or freezing rain expected this morning. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour today and a high of four degrees. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's cloudy. Uh, clouds are clearing out this morning. There's going to be wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour today. The high is zero, but feeling like minus eight with that wind chill. Winnipeg, Manitoba, it is sunny with partial uh, clouds in the afternoon. The high is minus six, but with that wind chill, feeling quite cool at minus 22. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's mainly sunny today. The high is minus 13, but with that wind chill, makes it feel more like minus 28. In Calgary, Alberta, there is snow today with up to 10 centimeters expected to fall. The high minus 17, uh, minus seven with the wind chill of minus 17. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's uh, mainly cloudy with some light snow in the afternoon. The high is minus 11, feeling like minus 20. In Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow in the morning. The high is minus 18, but that wind chill makes it feel like minus 36 in the area. In Vancouver, BC, where there is snow this morning, but it will be ending around noon today. Up to four centimeters is expected to fall, and the high today is five degrees. And finally, in Victoria, BC, it is similar conditions. It's snow this morning, uh, ending near noon, four centimeters ex expected to fall as well. And the high is four degrees there. And that's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, there is a new study on the mental health benefits for athletes participating in the Special Olympics. Doc lead author, Dr. Megan Lloyd, will tell you all about it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. A new study shows the benefits of sports participation for people with intellectual disabilities. The study takes a particular focus on Special Olympics athletes and was published in the medical journals, journal Social Psychiatry and Psychiatric Epidemiology. Here to share some of the findings is Dr. Megan Lloyd. Dr. Lloyd is an associate professor at Ontario Tech University and the lead author of the report. Dr. Lloyd, thank you for making time for us today. We're grateful. Thank you for having me. So let's go right back to the beginning. What was the purpose of the study? So my colleagues and I had been studying Special Olympics athletes for quite a long time. And we kept getting questions, but how do we know if Special Olympics athletes represent the broader population of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities? Because they participate in Special Olympics, and we know that physical activity is good for your health, maybe they're not the same as the general population who does not. So what we did was we partnered with uh, Special Olympics Ontario and ICES that houses the administrative health data in Ontario. And we linked um, registration data from Special Olympics Ontario to the ICES database. And that allowed us to answer questions about health knowing who participated in Special Olympics 
and who did not. And this was a huge development in, in at least my research in the sense that it's population level. We could mm. have very large sample sizes and have very strong methods for studying different health variables. So for a bit more context, how prevalent is depression amongst individuals uh, with intellectual disabilities? So the research indicates that it is more prevalent than the general population who does not have an intellectual or developmental disability. That's not to say it's every person, but it is more prevalent. And so any um, activities that may uh, promote health, mental health included, or uh, reduce the effects of this kind of um, health condition would be beneficial. And I've got to stay with a little bit more in terms of the context here. What is the general consensus on physical activity and health and wellness? So internationally, physical activity is good for your health. <laughs> and there's also a dose-response relationship to physical activity. So the more physical activity you do, particularly at higher intensities, moderate to vigorous physical activity, the more um, the health benefit. Um, the health benefit is not just physical health, because I think people probably are aware that um, physical activity is good for your cardiorespiratory health, it's good for strength and um, conditioning and your ability to partake in activities of daily living. But there is very strong evidence uh, with many different studies broadly that physical activity is also good for your mental health. Now, all the mechanisms or the biochemistry in the brain as to why exercise promotes mental health is still very much under study. People are very much trying to figure that out. But the, the link is very clear in the general population. Mm. One more methodology question for you. I'm sorry. I, I, I just, I'm just a big fan of context and methodology. So when you, when you collected all this data, what were you looking for specifically as, as comparison and contrast? So that's a really important question is that we actually didn't collect this data in, in the traditional sense of an experiment. We were using data that is already collected through the Ontario Health System um, and all that data, every time you swipe your health card and, and are diagnosed with the medical health records in Ontario, that data is um, collated and very private and very secure, um, but is available to researchers such as myself after uh, extensive privacy and, and um, research ethics application to study it for research purposes. So. It's called secondary data analysis. So this data already existed. What we did is we applied and then analyzed it in a very specific way. So we didn't collect any new data, which is what I do in my other hat when I'm doing my research. <laughs> this is um, a sec called secondary data analysis. I, does that make sense? It makes total sense to me. And Dr. Lloyd, you've been very patient with me as I walked through a lot of methodology here to, to sort of build a foundation. So let's get to let's get to the meat. What were the findings? What did you learn in going through this data collect uh, through the secondary data analysis? So um, it's really exciting. So what we did is we we started with a cohort of 19 to 29 year olds um, who had intellectual or develop and or developmental disabilities in Ontario, and we followed them for up to 20 years. And we also had a look back period. So when we started this cohort, none of the participants in either group had a diagnosis of depression. So over the course of up to 20 years, the people who participated in Special Olympics had a 49% risk reduction in being diagnosed with clinical depression compared to people who do not participate in Special Olympics who also have an intellectual or developmental disability. So this is a very significant finding. We also were able to control for other factors that may influence um, health or depression. So we controlled for um, where you live, how much physical or um, how much uh, money or the, the socioeconomic status of the, the household. Mm. We can do that through census um, analysis. 
We also, through our, our method, we're controlling for age. We also controlled for um, overall health. We have a, a metric for overall morbidity. And we still found this 49% risk reduction, which gives us confidence that there is a health promoting effect to participating in the Special Olympics for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. You mentioned before that perhaps there's there's more study needed here, and that's also one of the conclusions of this particular study. Where do you think the research could and should go from here? That's the million dollar question. Oh. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, well, you can you can e transfer me the money. That's perfect. Yeah, great. Um, <laughs> so what we what we really do need to do is. Um, a prospective study where we might be able to control for more variables in real time in um, in real life. So to do that, it would be, if you will, like a randomized clinical trial where we would enroll two groups of people and follow them for uh, a long period of time, um, being able to 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 account for things like access to services, access to health um, practitioners, uh, social social support systems, which mm. we all know would promote mental health. And so in our study, we weren't, because it was a secondary data analysis, we weren't able to control for those kinds of social variables that we do know have an impact on uh, mental health. Um, but it's very exciting. It's very promising because Special Olympics is relatively inexpensive in the grand scheme of health promotion it already exists mm. it is has extensive reach around the world it's in every province and territory in canada and um this is something that we don't have to start from scratch we already know and have the infrastructure for it so that is a a viable path forward for people looking to promote mental health um, of themselves or their family members. Yeah, you mentioned the reach and the grassroots connection that Special Olympics has in communities that then builds towards the elite level of competition as well. So it, it, looking at the findings and the data that you currently have and understanding that you do want to uh, get more information, garner more information, learn more about this, how would you hope these current findings that you have might be used? What kind of prescription uh, do you think they might be able to offer in the short term to organizations like Special Olympics or other parasports organizations? One of the things that we talked a little bit about in the paper is this idea called social prescription. We know that people are more likely to follow through on a recommendation if it's given to them by either a healthcare provider or a professional who is providing services or um, some attribute of their life. So in other words, if your doctor tells you to go for a 30 minute walk every day, you're more likely to go for a 30 minute walk every day. So that's not, not to say that special mix is the panacea for everybody, but it is maybe something that social uh, service providers, doctors could at least bring up or broach with, um, with the people that they're serving. Um, we also really hope that this might help people see special Olympics in uh, more than just sport context. Mm. So special Olympics, for many years now has been also providing um, health programming, health screenings and referrals to um, healthcare providers in the community. And this health promotion aspect of Special Olympics, I think doesn't get as much attention as their sport and competition side of what they do. And so greater awareness that being part of Special Olympics has the potential to improve your health is something that I think Special Olympics can run with this evidence is is quite strong, I would say. Yes, we need to do more research, but in addition to this, you know, join Special Olympics, sign up for Special Olympics, I think it's an opportunity for the greater community at large to support Special Olympics. Mm. For example, either in signing up to be a volunteer, maybe a coach, maybe a, a referee or a, a technician, maybe it's lobbying or promoting with donors or the government for increased funding because 
if there are more opportunities and more people who want to take part, that also um, requires infrastructure or, um, quite honestly, funding mm-hmm. to to run these kinds of programs. And so, I think this provides preliminary but strong evidence that we can use to to increase our capacity to serve adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Dr. Lloyd, thank you so much for taking the time to share these findings and thank you for all the work that you and your colleagues are doing with this research. Thank you so much for having me, it was a pleasure. That's Dr. Megan Lloyd, an associate professor at Ontario Tech University. Coming up next, there was a major global environmental forum that took place in Vancouver called Impact 5. Lawrence Gunther was there, so he'll offer up a recap. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. North American stock markets moved higher yesterday as investor sentiment rallied following the worst week for stocks so far this year. Toronto's TSX index gained 40 points to close at 20,260. New York's Dow Jones average rose 72 points and the Nasdaq added 72. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 21 points. Hong Kong's Hang Seng index lost 157 and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.58 cents US. StatsCan will release December and fourth quarter gross domestic product figures this morning. The federal agency's preliminary estimate indicated the economy grew at an annualized rate of 1.6% in the fourth quarter, marking a slowdown from previous quarters. Canada is banning TikTok from all federal government-issued mobile devices starting today. The move reflects widening worries from Western officials over the Chinese-owned video sharing app. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying it might be a first step to further action. From the Canadian press Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The 5th International Marine Protected Areas Conference, or Congress, recently took place in Vancouver. Let's uh, try to simplify that down to an acronym. Let's call it IMPACT 5. Why'd I pick that? because that's what they called it. Lawrence Gunther was there and is here to recap some of what went down. Lawrence is also the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which you can hear Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Hi, Dave. So, Lawrence, what do you think the main takeaway is from the Impact 5 com- Congress? Well, we had two federal ministers there, Minister of Environment and uh, Fisheries and Oceans, and they made a pledge to, uh, you know, we need to work internationally to promote this idea of creating marine protection areas around the world and to involve indigenous communities in how those marine protection areas are shaped and managed and governed. So it's really um, a a big commitment to uh, conserve and protect our coastlines and and, uh, to be a role in the world in terms of promoting this idea. Lawrence, you mentioned there were a couple of federal ministers there, and you were there, I'm sure, uh, arm in arm with them. Who else was there? Who else attended the meeting? Well, there was a lot of environmental groups, a lot of indigenous organizations, some philanthropy groups, uh, some industry that have uh, some skin in the game on this one, um, some academics for sure. Um, but who wasn't there were representatives from coastal communities, non-Indigenous coastal communities, you know, communities that have been making a living by going out on the ocean and, uh, and you know, fishing for generations now. So there was some noticeable absentees for sure. Uh, during the conference, the Canadian government unveiled the 2023 protection standards for marine protected areas. Mm-hmm. So what are those key area of focuses inside those standards? Well, we've got some standards now, so it's not just, uh, you know, one by one sort of let's make it up as we go along. Oceans oceans are good. We love fish. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and let's not screw it up. So so they're talking about, you know, oil exploration and development, right? You know, we all remember the BP uh, in this Gulf of Mexico, Mm. you know, that deep sea um, oil rig that, that blew up underwater there. Uh, and then you and I talked about nodules. And so they're talking about mining and exploration and development of mining. No more dumping waste and toxic chemicals and pesticides and fill and garbage into the ocean. Those days are, you know, into these marine protection areas. That's no longer possible. I don't even believe we still did that, but apparently it still goes on. And the fourth one is 
no bottom contact commercial fishing. So any of these draggers that pull these mm. deep underwater nets that scrape the bottom of the ocean and and uh, really just leave a a, a path of uh, destruction in their in their wake. So Lawrence, not all coastline is the same, and there were some particular areas that were discussed. One being a unique area off the Pacific West Coast. So what are some details behind the efforts to protect that area? So this is a this is offshore a little bit a, a bit further out from land and uh, but it's it's 133 square kilometers it's going to be one of our largest marine protection areas it's 46 under ground you know under the ocean mountains or what they call seamounts so these are mountains that pop out of the uh, bottom of the ocean and 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 where the tops of these mountains are are it provides a ton of habitat to some really rare life forms also there's the uh, hydro sea vents that are on the floor of the ocean there where where the earth's crust is cracked and 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 hot steaming water comes out of the uh, out of the earth's out of the ocean uh, floor and creates habitat for other sea life and complete darkness so this is a this is a huge protected area it's quite extraordinary uh, Lawrence you highlighted it a little bit before but when you talk about these uh national marine conservation areas as, as a policy direction, what will that practically look like? What, what will that encompass? You know, they, they basically identify an area of, of the ocean and, and put a line around it, a circle around it, getting the stakeholders involved with, uh, you know, understanding what should be there. And what it does is says, this is unique, this is important, we need to understand this better. So it gives the scientists a chance to then ask for uh, money to go and study it. So we don't know everything by any stretch of the imagination. We know less about the ocean than we do about the moon. So for us to be able to sort of identify the uh, key areas that we need to put some resources in, in terms of research and understanding, the, the, it does that. That's the big step forward, I think. You know, we want to uh, establish 30% percent of our territory, our ocean territory, as protected by the year 2030. Dave, 71% of Canada's territory is ocean, right? We, we have mm -hmm. the longest coastline of any country in the world. If you think about the 200-mile limit, that's, you know, 270, 80 kilometers off the coast. That's not our, our land necessarily. It's not part of Canada, but it's our economic zone, and we control that. So we're, it's, we have a lot of ocean to be responsible for. So to have 30% of that protected in, in in some basic way and then and then you bring in the stoic stakeholders of the regional boards and they'll then develop more enhanced unique types of protections for each of those areas as they see fit Lawrence, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit on this. Typically for these segments, you'll send over a couple thoughts to our producer, Paul Daniel, uh, with some mm. suggested questions. Paul will sort of rework a couple questions. And there's one here that I'm going to quibble with. I'm going to read it word for word as it was written for me, but, uh, but I am going to quibble with it a little bit. There was, right. a there was a long list of commitments made at the conference. We just discussed a few of them. But the commitments didn't seem to get a lot of media attention. Why do you think these huge commitments to protect the environment aren't resonating with the media and or public. So, Lawrence, I, I'm going to quibble with that. Again, I read it as it was, word for mm -hmm. word, in my script. I certainly covered this conference on the show. Mm -hmm. We've brought on guests to talk about this on the show. I did see it a little bit in mainstream media coverage, so I'm going to quibble with the question, but seeing as how, mm -hmm. how this is supposed to lead you to a Lawrence Gunther thought, sort of mm -hmm. like lay, lay out your rationale for me. Well, I think the people who have uh, are concerned about environmental issues, and they, it's still ranking about number five in terms of the public's concerns. If you look at the big priorities, you know, it's recession, it's uh, you know, health care, uh, it's it's housing costs and, mm -hmm. and housing availability. These are the you know they still rank higher than the environment. Environment ranks number five, so. It, it's already got. Uh, it's not even with climate change, Dave. Even with you know all the doomsday clock clicking down and you know we're still not ranking environmental protection biodiversity loss um you know the the extreme weather that's resulting from climate change mm. all of that still not ranking as a super high priority topic and then you add into this the, the, this conference this congress where they invite a key group of people they charge an extraordinary amount of money to attend this congress like i think it was twelve hundred dollars to attend as a as a participant uh, that's a lot of money yeah, for people yeah. to pay i got a media pass thank goodness <laughs> and um, and then you leave out it, people 
you know, we have a lot of coastal communities. We have a lot of coastline and we have a lot of uh, people who have an interest in what's going to happen to the ocean. Like, for instance, off the west coast of, of uh, British Columbia, just recreational fishing alone for salmon and halibut and things like that generates 10 billion dollars worth of economic activity a mm. year and this is guided uh, fishing this is recreational fishing this is uh, tourism fishing lodges and resorts so you don't in involve any of those people and they're on the sidelines looking in going well you know we're just going to make this go away when we get a chance because this is this is going to be bad news for us this is going to mm. be uh, bad news to our economy our way of life and um you know same on the east coast right it's all fishing and and fisheries out there as well and and they're not involved the, so the, i think the the danger is that they didn't bring in all the stakeholders yeah, they didn't yeah. bring in a large uh, percentage of the general public that are involved that care about this they didn't try to include them so ma they're making the classic mistake of uh, of going fast and going alone versus you know going well and doing a good job by involving all the people and, yeah. and this could come back to haunt them in the end yeah lawrence I, I know i quibbled with the premise of the question but i do mm -hmm. agree with you in the sense that number one this was held largely over a weekend like good luck with that getting getting like mainstream mm -hmm. news coverage when a bunch of newsrooms are shut down for the weekend and then the other side of it was it followed that biodiversity conference in montreal like it was basically mm -hmm. four weeks after that biodiversity conference so mm -hmm. i again when you think about like the bandwidth that people might have to talk about these things, they might have already thought to themselves, bah, the biodiversity conference was last month. What the heck is this? So so I yeah. do so I do agree with you to a certain degree that either there was some fatigue, it was the middle of January, it was mm. the weekend in Vancouver, like whatever factor it might have been, that maybe the coverage wasn't as robust as it should have been for such an important mm. conference. Yeah, I, I, I think it could have been better. And I think if they had open it up for a little more discussion, a little more debate, it would have drawn the attention. But when you bring a whole bunch of like-minded people into the room, it's more like an eco echo chamber, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're all singing the same song and it's yeah. kind of boring. Welcome to uh, sitting down <laughs> at any fundraising committee meeting for a disability organization. <laughs> okay, but I'm not, I'm going to get us in too much trouble. Lawrence, one last thought here. As as part of yeah. this conference, there, there was also uh, the Festival of Ocean Films, or at least Impact 5 was a sponsor of of it and a piece of work that you were involved in was part of the festival so what was it that you were part of here what was the film well we we partner my charity bluefish canada partners with another charity called water rangers and water rangers is uh, developing water testing kits and putting them in the hands of young people and their families to go out and test water quality they they wanted to do a, a series of uh ripple effect kind of videos and they call them you know the change maker series where they met with people who are doing things that are important for water and they they asked me to do one of these videos with them so we filmed it last may out on the saint lawrence river early early in the morning for opening day of walleye season oh, right so on. we had a, a young a, a, a video recorder with us a, a young man doing the videotaping young man i've been listening to this old guy right <laughs> <laughs> well, at least say young because he didn't come equipped at all. I almost froze to death, the poor guy. But uh, anyways, he created this video and, and, and it's taken off. It's got a lot of popularity. And uh, so it was selected to be part of this film festival. And the night they aired this video, they aired it along with uh, three other videos. And the theme of that night was, is fishing sustainable? So they asked me to come out and be there for the airing of the video and to be on the panel after the videos aired and to, answer questions from the audience is fishing sustainable so naturally you know i'm, I'm giving a you know a, a, a yes on that one you know but it's also has to be done properly and responsibly I, I was expecting more pushback, you know, with the environmental conference and, and put on by an environmental organization, you know, Georgia Strait Alliance. And I'm thinking, well, there's going to be a lot of anti-fishing people here. But surprisingly, Dave, the audience was not anti-fishing. Everyone was, you know, yeah, this is something we do and and uh, it, we should be able to do it sustainably and mm -hmm. properly and responsibly and 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 it should work. Uh, Lawrence, folks can find this uh, Ripple Effect on YouTube. I'm assuming by searching for Ripple Effect might be the, uh, the best mm -hmm. way to do so. Any advice, yeah. on, any, any advice on how, how to track it down? Water Rangers is the owns the YouTube channel, so Water Rangers, Ripple Effect, and it's episode three. Uh, Lawrence, you've been super generous with your time today. I've kept you a little bit longer, but uh, give me the one-minute synopsis of the next episode of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Okay, here it is in a nutshell. 
Oh, it's the awe effect. We're exploring the awe effect and how important that is to uh, experiencing the awe effect for our mental health, our physical health, and just feeling good. Oh, okay. See, I, I did it right there. I did it right there. I did the awe effect on myself. Lawrence, thank you. Thank, thank you for this. And thank you for going a little bit over time with us today. We're grateful. My pleasure. Thanks for the time, Dave. Appreciate you having me on. That is Lawrence Gunther. He's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which you can find Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio, or you can find the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, and you can follow Lawrence on Twitter at Lawrence Gunther, at Lawrence Gunther. Coming up next, it's the regional news update. But first, OnePlus has released a phone that you cannot buy. Mike Dubusky explains why in Tech Trends. 11 concept has what the company calls cryoflux, a liquid cooling system that runs through the back of the phone and around the camera bump. If that sounds cool, you may be out of luck. It's just a concept phone, which means that OnePlus has no intention of selling it. Instead, it's designed to draw attention to the base OnePlus 11, which came out earlier this year. Android authorities C. Scott Brown says that phone marked a return to form for the brand. Which is releasing very competitively priced phones that are specifically catered toward power users. But he questions whether OnePlus can recapture its original fans after the brand moved up market in recent years to take on Apple and Samsung. And be like, hey, remember us? We're back. And it's like, people are like, no, you guys left. You know, we don't we don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Lots going on on the show today. Moving a few pieces around. So let's get to the regional news update. Beginning in British Columbia, searchers say two hikers are lucky to be alive after spending more than 24 hours stranded in the snow on the North Shore Mountains. Authorities say the pair set out from the parking lot of Lynn Headwaters Regional Park on Saturday afternoon and made it to Norvin Falls, but got lost on the way back as darkness fell. Search manager Dave Barrett says the two lacked adequate gear, were not dressed for overnight conditions, and lost their only phone during the hike. Both hikers were taken to hospital on Sunday and showed no significant health issues other than a couple signs of hypothermia. I, it always confuses me why somebody would go hiking and not bring proper gear. It, it seems like that should be a pretty basic thing. Over to the prairies. Alberta has become the seventh province to sign an agreement with Ottawa on healthcare funding. More than $24 billion is to be invested in Alberta's healthcare system over the next 10 years. Alberta health, on mental health and addiction. Alberta health minister Jason Copping says the money will help accelerate what the government is already doing. Our focus on mental health and addictions, as this premier indicated, mm -hmm. be able to be able to drive that faster. Uh, our focus on primary care, um, and very pleased, you know, last week able to announce maps uh, and their initial recommendations coming forward from that. So be able to be able to put dollars to that. Our focus on uh, you know health human resources. Premier Daniel Smith still has some issues with the deal. The only thing I think the premiers were a bit disappointed by is that they had set a, a very high bar for what they wanted the federal government to come to the table with for funding. And it, it really it really was a, a, only a fraction of that. But that being said, it's still 518 million new dollars this year that we weren't anticipating. And over to Ontario, hundreds of Ontario principals say they need more help to support students' mental health after a survey found the number of schools that did not have a psychologist to help kids nearly doubled over the past decade. Nonpartisan advocacy group People for Education Survey says 91% of the 1,000 schools it surveyed noted they need support for students' mental health and well-being. President of the Ontario Principals Council, Patsy Agard, says the government could look to fast-track mental health workers in post-secondary programs and improve school access to community-based health staff and resources. And finally, over in the Atlantic, Nova Scotia social workers say the province is offered to pay for a single one-hour counseling session for residents is not enough to meet mental health needs. Nova Scotia College of Social Workers spokesperson N. Saritsky says one appointment would barely scratch the surface. 
the majority of people who are needing free mental health that we're advocating for have much more complex needs. And it requires more than one session. Social workers are also concerned that the province chose to partner with TELUS Health for the project instead of a local nonprofit. That's your look at the regional news. But speaking of things happening in the regions elsewhere in Canada, of course, we're sitting here in the snowy GTA this morning, although that seems to be a general trend across the country. If you live in the Calgary area or plan to be in the Calgary area on March the 17th, there's an opportunity for you to be part of a television studio audience. AMI-TV's By Hooker By Cook is filming two episodes on Friday, March the 17th, and you are invited to participate. The day includes a picture on the red carpet, that's good for the gram, some refreshments, always gotta feed the people, and meet and greet with Bruce Cook and some other cast members, plus a gift bag valued at $75. Okay, so if that's not enough for you to spend part of your St. Patrick's Day in Calgary, taking part in a, in a studio uh, TV studio audience, I'll be the person hosting these two episodes, so it's a chance to spend more time with me. Although maybe that's a disincentive. I'll be hosting these two episodes again. Lots of fun on Friday, March the 17th. For more information or to reserve your spot, email info at ami.ca, info at ami.ca. I would suggest putting by hook or by cook in the subject line. That way it'll get there a little bit faster. But please, if you're interested and want to be part of this, take a couple of hours on your Friday of St. Patrick's Day on March the 17th. This is going to be a really cool opportunity to uh, get in, get into some deeper conversations about disability representation and pulling back the curtain on the making of this show. So it's really cool. Again, Friday, March the 17th in Calgary, Info at ami.ca for more. I got to tell you, I am so excited to be a part of this event. I jumped at the opportunity when I was asked by our marketing and communications team because I've never been to Calgary. I've passed through Alberta on a train, stopped in Jasper for a couple of hours going in and going out and was blown away by how beautiful Jasper was. But I am so excited to take in one of Canada's biggest cities and enjoy a St. Patrick's Day with you and then with the uh, rest of the general public later in the day. Coming up after the break, Brock Richardson will be stopping by to have a sports chat. Lots going on in the sports world. NHL trade deadline action. The Toronto Blue Jays hiring a new person to be working with uh, their baseball strategy set of things. And of course, Soccer Canada continuing to make headlines for all the wrong reasons. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.